0: Pose with him. Uh, uh, Press him backward. Uh, Pose with him. Uh, Stay on the attack. Uh, uh, Use your feet! Uh, uh, Don't let him get up. Uh, uh, Stay on the attack! Uh, Enough! Uh, you dare put hands on me! They're gone. You forget yourself, Strong. That is the Prince. This is what you teach, Cole. Cruelty. ...for the weaker opponent. Your interest in the princelings' training is quite unusual, Commander. Most men would only have that kind of devotion toward a cousin... ...or a brother... ...or a son. all bangers all the time all bangers all the time oh boy oh boy oh boy oh boy buckle up your buttholes everybody we got some stuff to talk about ladies and gentlemen we have some stuff to talk about seven blessings as always and welcome back to all bangers otherwise known as ABP. Our thing is all bangers all the time. Listen, man, look. If you didn't already know, we are watching a tragedy unfold before our very eyes. This story is the downfall of a family. And we're shifting into high gear this episode. If you thought this show was slow, you probably think it's going too fast right now. And I agree. Um, there are things in this episode I didn't see coming this early on, but we have to remember season one acts as the prequel, sort of, sort of like so to speak, to our main story, and we'll most likely be getting another twenty to thirty hours of that story. So it's like Gandalf says in Return of the King, "The board is set, the pieces are moving," and yeah, you know, they're moving really fast in this episode. But what I will say is, with the with the age up of the actors, um, our characters feel more actualized now. And you know, simply put, we're in the great game now. And out of all the episodes thus far, this one was the one that felt the most like OG Game of Thrones. There are shades of Season One Thrones in this episode. Um, this is the Game of Thrones where you either win or you die. Now, that's not to say there aren't any faults with this episode that, you know, we can nitpick, nitpick at, but I think, I think Ryan Condal and Miguel Sapochnik, I think they underestimated how much audiences would have preferred a slower burn. We're skipping decades, but if you know how far reaching the story is, it's understandable why they chose the time jumps just because there's so much to cover in the story over the span of like 20 to 30 years. But you know, one can't help but think there were a few missed opportunities here to squeeze in another one or two episodes, specifically so we could see more of Rhaenyra and Harwin and Damon and Lena. But on the other hand, if you're going to if you're going to do a story like The Dance of the Dragons, there's really no better way to do it than what we've seen so far. I think they went in with the plan. I think they have a set amount of seasons they want to get to finish by, and they don't want to waste their time and feel... They don't want to feel the show out, and they don't want to let the show and the reception of the audience dictate where they take it. Uh, and you have to you have to admire that. I wish it was a slower burn, personally, because Vizzy loves a slow burn. I think what they're doing with Season 1 is moving fast to set up the dance in Season 2. And I think once we get into... Season two, things are going to start to slow down, and we'll get that burn—no uh, pun intended. And I think there's a real possibility, since uh, since there's an outpouring of love for Millie and Emily that we've that we've seen, I think it's a real possibility moving forward that we get flashbacks in future seasons. And I think that's something that they, they didn't plan on happening. Uh, the, the, Millie and Emily—they were so popular with the fans. So that's really my only complaint this episode is we're moving we're moving really fast. And again, it's understandable. But we didn't get more of we didn't get to see more of Damon and Lena or Rhaenyra and Harwind in the way I would have liked to see them. But other than that, banger of an episode, the most Game of Thrones-like episode yet, and let's dive into it. House of the Dragons, season one, episode six, titled The Princess and the Queen. Written by Sarah Hess, directed by Miguel Sapochnik. Here's a description. Ten years later, Rhaenyra navigates Allison's continued speculation about her children while Damon and Lena weigh an offer in pentos. Now we open up with Rhaenyra struggling to give birth to baby Joffrey. Praise mother. Praise mother. It's a healthy baby boy kicking like a goat. And I have to say, I was relieved to see the midwives here, handling the birth and not the masters. Uh And what a way to introduce Emma Darcy as our older, older, oh my God, my Boston accent slipping in, our older Rhaenyra. I think Miguel and Ryan made a statement with this episode on how to jump a decade and introduce a new actor who steps in to fill a, a lead role. And, you know, how do you do that? You don't waste any time. You don't ease into an episode and that new actor just walks into a room with sunlight at her back and wind in her hair, all dramatic. No, what do you do? You get right up in their face, you go handheld with the camera, one take, and you let the actor, in this case Emma, show the audience just how good they are. And you give them the opportunity to put the audience's mind at ease. And this was something that Ryan and Miguel probably discussed what's the bait best what's the best way for us to introduce Emma as olda uh, Rhaenyra to the audience? Because everybody was like, okay, I'm gonna miss Millie, right? And deservedly so. We don't we want we don't want Millie to go away. And look, man, as much as I thought Millie did a phenomenal job as young Rhaenyra, we never got this. Okay, this was visceral, this was emotional, this was nuanced, and honestly, this is just elite acting they reached another level with this episode with bringing in the older actors, not saying Millie couldn't bring that. It's just, she never had the opportunity that early on in her story as Rhaenyra to show us that level of emotion, that level of viscerality, right? No fault of her own. It was just how she was written, which wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination, right? But M is older. And with age comes time that you put into your craft And with Miguel going one take, you give Emma the time, you give them the space to show what they're going to bring to the table for older Rhaenyra. Now, I was immediately drawn into uh, them as Rhaenyra, and that's because of the direction choice and their talent. It's an amazing way to introduce us to Emma. But this opening scene, we get shades of... Emma Arryn, right from episode one, we're immediately called back to the moment when Rhaenyra's mother was telling her, "One day your time will come. This is our battlefield." And I think it's crazy how much Emma looks like the actress that played uh, Emma. <laughs> I guess you could say Emma Arryn. Uh, Emma, it's crazy how much Emma Darcy looks like the actress that played Emma Aaron. And here. She is, years later, right here, Rhaenyra is in the same position that she mocked a decade ago when she was telling Alicent, I will not be made to be stuck up in some castle forced to squeeze out airs. Alas, here we are. So you can see Rhaenyra loves her children in this episode. You can see that she shows them more affection than Alicent. Think ahead to Larys' chilling monologue at the end of the episode. What a great voice that guy has, yeah? Crazy. Amazing voice. He talks about how having children is basically the downfall of a house, a downfall of a parent, even. And Rhaenyra's love for her children, as we see in this episode, could very well, in fact, be her downfall. On the other hand, this is where it's interesting, on the other hand, we have Alicent. She's cold to her children. Even when she's sitting with Helena, notice the distance between them sitting down in that scene? That small detail shows you how Alicent doesn't care to get close to her children. I mean, we have to remember, she was forced into this marriage with Viserys. There's underlying resentment there. We saw what conceiving a child looked like for her, laying on her back and doing her duty. But over the past decade... What we see throughout this episode is exactly what Otto told her to do. Prepare the children. Not love the children. Prepare the children. And we have Rhaenyra, who we immediately see upon the arrival of Joffrey, embrace him, love him, show affection, and then later on with Jace and Luke. I mean, we see how much she loves her children. It's a part of the reason why she ultimately leaves King's Landing to protect the children, right? With Alicent, she sees and treats her children as political pawns like how Otto saw and treated her. And as much as we hate to admit it, when we grow up, we take parts of our parents with us. It's just how it works. I don't know how it works, biological, psychological, chemical, whatever. It's just, it's just the way it goes, whether we like it or not. We are what we learn. And that's the case of Alicent and Otto. And, you know, with the case of Rhaenyra, the love that Viserys showed Rhaenyra taught Rhaenyra to love her children. In that respect, I think Viserys succeeded as a father. He wasn't always the best, right? He was was distant, but he taught her love. He taught her that your children are as important as your role to the realm. In fact, both go hand in hand. You have to prepare the you, you you have to prepare the way for what comes after you. And I think Viserys did a good job with that. Alison, like she learned that children are nothing but pieces on a chessboard. It's all she's ever known. She never knew love from Otto. She was a child without a mom, and as such, she's detached from Aegon. Right? She's detached from Aegon, Helena, and Amon because both her parents, I mean, one died, but her father was detached from her. Does that make sense? Hope that makes sense. But back into this opening scene, Allison summons the baby immediately after it comes out. She specifically asks for the baby. She doesn't ask for Rhaenyra. Like that midwife had that shit ready. You know, you know Allison went to her and told her, look, the second that child is out, you tell her, I want to see that baby. And we, we'll come to learn why in just a few minutes. Lainor rushes in to greet her and helps escort her to Allison. We get our first look at John McMillan as older Lenore, and we immediately see his chemistry with Emma. And we see these two people that got married for the sake of the realm. We see the dynamic early on of a seemingly healthy relationship in this op- opening scene. Last time we saw both of them was 10 years ago on the night of their op- uh, on the night of their like opening we- wedding week feast ceremony thing. Where Lainor's lover was murdered in cold blood by Sir Krispy Kreme, but John McMillan he brings a levity to an older Lainor that I really like, and he's still sassy, right? We still see him and Rhaenyra like go back and forth, like sass, like both of, both of them, like both of them are sass queens, right? <laughs> so, uh, moving forward here, she gets to the staircase. Okay, this is something I bet you guys missed. I caught this on a third rewatch. You know how Rhaenyra stops short of the staircase and Lanner was like, what's wrong? Should we turn back? And she's like, fuck. Now, at first, I, along with you, probably thought she was just in so much pain. She was. She looked up the flight of stairs. She was dreading walking up those stairs, right? But if you watch closely, she actually looks down at Joffrey and she notices hair she notices his hair starting to darken. Then she says, fuck. Then she looks up. Then she looks back down at Joffrey. And she says, walk. So when a baby is born, okay? I don't have any experience with this, but I just know this. When a baby is born, they come out with this like white slime all over them, right? And, and when that gets wiped away or when it dries clear... You can see what color hair the baby has, and so since the baby was ripped away from Rhaenyra right away, she didn't have time to notice. You're obviously in somewhat of sh- of a sh- of shock at that point, right? And time needed to lapse in order for that liquid to dry. So by the time she gets to the staircase and looks down, she's like, "Fuck, another dark-haired baby." And as Allison put it puts it, "One's a mistake." but three is an insult to Viserys, to the crown, right? And why this is so important is because, you know, we'll talk about this later in in greater detail, but this is high treason. This is high treason. I can't wait to talk about that later on. But as Rhaenyra and Laenor are walking up the stairs, Lord Caswell says it's an honor to be one of the first to congratulate them. Tells Rhaenyra if she ever needs his assistance, She's like, the day may come, my lord. And this was a cool, quick way to like layer in a part of the story that is undoubtedly going to come up in later seasons. I thought that was a nice way to like sort of seed that in. And again, this shows that Ryan and the writers know what they're doing. In fact, it was required to read Fire and Blood. It wasn't optional. If you wanted to write for this show, you needed to read the book. And it's quick little... You know, jab jab moments like this that, you know, when you see Ward Caswell or the mention of Grover Tully in the Riverlands, uh, it goes to show that they know their they know their shit, right? And you know, fun fact, little aside here. Um, in Fire and Blood, when George was coming up with character names, he uses space holder names, and he he na- he named Grover's grandson Elmo and Elmo Tully had sons named Kermit and Oscar so Easter Egg for some of you Sesame Street fans out there but George R, R. Martin he likes to he likes uh he liked the name so much that he kept them in the story put it that way but um Lainor, he wants to stop and take her back to the chambers Rhaenyra's like, if you want to carry me down those fucking stairs. And obviously Allison, when she summons the baby, she knows that Rhaenyra is gonna walk the baby all the way up to her. It's petty, right? They reach Allison's door, guarded by petty bitch made Sir Kristen. Ten years later, this dude is still salty. He greets her without congratulating her on the on the birth and lets her in the room. Last time we saw Sir Kristen, not only did he murder is a lover, but he actually served Laynor a mean right cross. And we'll talk about Kristen in a few minutes. But we head into the room behind Laynor and Rhaenyra, and we see Olivia cooks Allison for the first time. She's like, "Rhaenyra, what are you doing out of bed? You should be resting after your labors." My God, woman, what has gotten into you? Allison knew damn well. Rhaenyra would never part with her baby and hand it over to Alicent after she just had it. So this immediately shows us that Alicent, she's not the same girl that was biting her nails 10 years ago. This is a bitter, conniving young woman. And I was thinking of Cersei here, but there's a difference between Alicent and Cersei. You see, Cersei can admit when she's being cruel. In fact. She almost got off on admitting how much of a bitch she was. What makes Allison so very different, as we are learning here in real time, is she can never admit when she's being a cunt. Right? She's delusional. In comes Viserys, looking like he just got back from a Grateful Dead concert, ripping heaters and doing acid at Jerry Souls Look, the dude needs to give it up right he's falling apart knees are fucking shot walking with a limp you know he's got gout dick doesn't work fucking shoulders done he's got one arm forgetting the moisturizer and the sunblock breath probably reeks of cotton balls and sewage but he still has a he still has his wits about him and he really does take joy in his family here and even with Lionel you know if you th- Think forward to the scene with uh, lionel overlooking the lads in the courtyard training together where he was like look at this lionel everything i wanted lionel they're playing lionel we learned over these years with viserys how much he cares about his legacy he cares about what people will say about him how he will be remembered a king who neither fought in any great wars or did anything worthy of a song and i think that's why he's holding on to the throne for this long He's holding out for that one moment where the people, well, he will he will do something noble or have the opportunity to that people will sing songs and toast to his name about hundreds of years from now. But pride and impatience are a double-edged sword. And Viserys is so proud and he's so obsessed with how his legacy will be remembered. Obsessing over only on the positive aspects of his rule. And he holds to the throne until the day he dies. And, and he ends up doing his part to sow the seeds of an absolute fucking bloodbath that follows. But here's the thing. All he needs to do is pass everything on to Rhaenyra right now and all of that, everything fucking ends. But nope. His old ass don't want to die. And the more time that passes under his senile rule, the stronger the designs and more fucked up and twisted things are becoming. It's like taking a rubber band and stretching it to the point of breaking. The more time and space the band has to separate, the more tension on the middle. And ultimately it rips apart. And that's where the realm is in the story right now. It's in the middle of that band being stretched. But we get Viserys, he's cradling the baby. He gives that look you only see a grandparent give when they hold something so young and so precious in their arms. Allison asks, has the baby, been, has the baby been named yet? Laenor cuts Rainier off and says, Joffrey. After his dead lover, of course. And before they excuse themselves, Allison pulls back the blanket. She sees Joff's dark hair. Walks it over to Lainor as Viserys congratulates his daughter. is, you know, she takes a quick look over at Alicent holding the baby, suspecting she may say something. Gives her pop a kiss and embrace. They embrace. It's very, very nice. Alicent hands the baby to Lainor, and, and this was the line directly pulled from the book where she says, "Do keep trying, Sir Lainor. Sooner or later, you may get one that looks like you." And she walks back to Viserys, and boy, do they make a handsome couple. God, gross. But Rhaenyra and Lanor they leave Allison's Chambers. Petty Sir Kristen has his back. Dude has his back. He's so fucking petty, man. He has his back to the hallway facing the other direction. Okay. As he moves, as uh, as Rhaenyra and Lanor they walk further down the hallway. He moves further out of frame. You can see him glance at them. And he turns to the proper standing position any knight guarding a door would be in. That's how petty this fucking you is. We see Rhaenyra; she's she's limping, and she's leaving a trail of blood behind her, symbolic of what's to come later on in this episode and throughout the entire dance. Thought that was a nice touch. She walks ahead of Lenor, and Lainor realizes that she's leaving the trail behind her. And he turns, he looks down, he looks back at it. And Christian Christian motions his chin upwards, like "What up, bro? You want something?" And I thought that was pretty weird. Like I didn't I didn't like that. I felt too hooded. Like like, can I help you with something, my guy? Like something like that. Like, I didn't like that. It's not like he and Leonor were homies, right? So I, I don't know why he he nodded in that that head motion. It's kind of weird to me. But Rhaenyra returns to her chambers and we find uh she doesn't have just one child there, but three. Sir Harwin immediately stands up as she enters, not because she's the princess, but because He's hoping for good news on the birth. And at this point, people probably were starting to put things together. Uh, book readers, we knew what was up. Jason, Luke, they rush to the heating pot. They open it up, and they show Mom. They chose an egg for Joffrey. Now, real quick, notice here, Jace has flowing black hair. And Luke has curly black hair. That's all I'll say. Listen, we'll, we'll revisit that later on because I think it gets really spicy. But Harwin says he escorted the lads to the dragon pit so they can choose the egg. Uh, Another boy I heard, he says. And we see Rhaenyra looking up at him with a smirk and like, you know, yeah, it's a boy. Harwin looks over to Laenor cradling the baby, and I love how Rhaenyra was like, Sir Harwin wishes to be introduced to Joffrey. Like, it's never confirmed Harwin is the father of any of Raniere's kids. We have to remember that. But you feel the love. And this is what great writing is. It's show, don't tell. You leave it open for interpretation because you maintain the mystery and it gives you flexibility moving forward with how you wish to reveal what is true and what isn't. And that's the correct way to play with the audience's expectations. But regardless of whether or not these kids are Harwin's, you just love to see the co-parenting, right? Lenor being like, I'm not the dad, but I'm the dad that stepped up. Love Lenor for that. He leaves with Jace and Luke, and he gives Rhaenyra and Harwin time alone with what we presume is Harwin's baby boy. Harwin rocks Joffrey, and Rhaenyra smiles. He's like, he's sleeping in the arms of the commander of the City Watch. Terribly rude. She's like, it runs in the family. And we get that famous... Harwin smirk. That actor, man, he is so fucking awesome. Charisma dripped up, right? But we learn with that dialogue, specifically that dialogue. Harwin has been named or has been promoted to commander of the city watch now. Before he was just a foot soldier. Remember when he stopped when he stopped Rhaenyra on patrol in the streets of Fleabottom when she was running away in that alley? I think it was like episode three uh, or four. I, no, I think it was episode four. By the way. Uh, so Harwin moving on up in the world with the new post, a princess, potentially three strong sons who now have Targaryen blood again, bit of a problem as we will discuss, man, things are getting so complicated and I love it. Like every scene you're in your head and you're trying to figure out, okay, who is related to who his sons are her sons, but what does that make him to her? and her to the realm, and it's just it's just all fucked up. It's all fucked, bruv. It's all fucked. And this is why I think this is the single most Game of Thrones episode of the season so far. But in the case of Harwin and Rhaenyra, it's, it's cool because love was not the death of duty, and duty wasn't the death of love. They had it all, at least for a short period of time. But we cut to the dragon pit, we get Aegon and Amond, who are Allison's children, and Jace and Luke, who are Rhaenyra's children, so they're first cousins. Uh, I think they're first cousins, right? C- Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to waste time trying to figure that out. Uh, the Dragon Wars are, are teaching Jace to master dragon his, his dragon, Vermax. We weren't Aegon, has mastered Sunfire already. He's the oldest, right? Aemond, Aemond looks annoyed he has to be there because he's the only Targaryen that hasn't claimed a dragon. And I thought I thought this was really great world building here that shows the audience the process and shows the audience how to command and how to bond with the dragon. Vermax barbecues the goat at Jace's command and Aegon tells his brother Aemond that he, Jace, and Luke have a surprise for him. They walk him over to the sort of like where you go underneath the dragon pit to the caves where all the dragons are, and they present him the the pink dread. They jest at him for not being able to claim a dragon, but as we'll see later on, with Princess Rhaena, her egg hasn't hatched yet either. So we have two Targaryens who are without dragons right now. Aemon walks down the pit into the darkness. Remember what Viserys said a few episodes ago about how Targaryens are restless and chaotic. Here we see amond He has the courage to sneak down into the pit to try to claim a dragon on his own. It's pretty restless and chaotic of him. And uh, that just follows him as he gets older. Uh, the fade to black here was pretty cool. That was a really nice way to like tether the two scenes together and keep the scene moving instead of like a hard cut. Makes sense creative-wise. Uh, cre- creative as he disappears in the darkness and the frame disappears on the fade, I thought that was a real nice touch. He uh Amon navigates the uh, the caves and stumbles on Dreamfire. Now, if you thought Dreamfire resembles or resembled Drogon, I wouldn't say you're far off. I thought so too. So that leads me to believe that Danny's dragon eggs most likely come from Dreamfire's clutch of eggs. So like Rhaegal, it's what is it, Drogon, Rhaegal? And um, what the hell is that? What's the third dragon? Drogon, Rhaegal, and it's not Viserys. It starts with a V, I forget. Oh my God, this is going to, let me just, this is real-time podcasting here. Let me just look at this up. Look at this up. Let me just look this up. Um, Daenerys, dragon names. (sighs) Drogon, oh, Viserion, Okay. Viserion, yeah. That would have drove me nuts if I didn't figure that out. Yeah, so most likely Drogon, Viserion, and Rhaegal were hatched from Dreamfire's clutch. So that's pretty cool. And I think that's that's a cool way to link the past with the present, or at least past with where we are now in the stories. Pretty cool. But uh, we move on to the next scene here with uh, Alicent talking to her daughter princess helena helena is very much a dreamer head in the clouds right gives me a more creepy sort of like luna lovegood vibe not as loopy more serious which i think makes her possibly more dangerous in the eyes of a general audience but i love her i don't know if she's i don't know if she's like on the spectrum but i think that would be very cool if that was the case Like, think back to Viserys in front of the fire talking to Alicent when he said most Targaryens are conquerors. There are a few of us who are dreamers. And here we have Helena, you know, possibly one of the dreamer Targaryens. This one has 60 rings, she says, with two pairs of legs on each. That's 240 legs. It has eyes, but I don't believe it can see. She's like, it's beyond our understanding. Yeah, I don't know if she's I don't know if she's on the spectrum. I don't know if she's averse to being touched. But you can see the distance between Allison and Helena. I mentioned that up top. That's uh that's not a loving embrace of a mother who loves her only daughter. That's more like a mother who is forced to have that daughter for duty. And that daughter is now just another responsibility for her to take on. But in any event, she struggles to connect with Helena, Amon comes in covered in dirt. Helena's like, he did it again. And again, we see, we can see Allison here. She doesn't want to deal with the issue of Amon being bullied. And I think as an audience, we can infer this probably happens often based on her response of like, how many times have I told you, right? When she says that to Amon, Helena turns her attention back to the creepy creepy crawler and her hands and she says the last ring has no legs at all. And I think this is a I think this is a reference to Bran the Broken, Brandon Stark. How he has no legs. Allison tells Aemon he will have a dragon one day. Helena still focuses on the worm, and she says almost so consciously and pretty cryptically, she's like, "He'll have to close an eye." Now that leads me to think that okay, Helena. I mean, I don't know Helena, possible Green Seer. Maybe she saw Amon through Dreamfire's eyes. Like, okay, slight spoiler. It's really nothing big. Don't comment at me in the DMs. It's really nothing big. But Dreamfire becomes uh, Helena's dragon. On brand, I would say. Right? You'd think it's on brand. And if Helena was a Green Seer or a Warg, that just means she has the ability to see the future or things that happened in the past through the eyes of nature or or, or through animals. Think back to Bran. Seeing through the eyes of the crow, right, the, the three eye raven. That's what a green seer or warg is. Uh, but you know, although I'd like that to be true, green seers are extremely rare, and they descend from the first men, so it's it's more of a northern thing. So I doubt the Targaryens are actually like green seers, but it could be playing in that sandbox since Targaryens are known to have dragon dreams. But she does pro- proclaim a prophecy here and one that does come true. So she does possess some magic. How far that magic extends, we'll we'll just have to wait and see. But it's interesting because here we see Allison she fully embraces Amond after he was bullied. So I think this at least in the case of Amond I think this is probably like a princess Diana, Princess Diana and Harry situation, where in as much as Princess Diana gave more love and affection towards Prince Harry when he was younger because he was the second son, and everybody was so so on about like William since he was the firstborn son in line to be the king, right? Gave William all the attention. So I think Allison knows Aegon is, you know, obviously, Alicent knows Aegon is second to the Iron Throne, so she probably gives Aemond more attention and affection because he's the second son. So I think that's what's going on here. We move forward. Alison confronts Viserys about what the boys did to Aemond. Alicent calls Viserys's grandchildren, a.k.a. her nephews, or near his sons, savages, tries to pin the blame on them for bullying uh, Aemond. And Viserys is like, you sure it's not that little shit of a son we have who put them up to it, Aegon? She's like, it's a a miracle their eggs hatch. Like, this bitch. This bitch. Bro, talking as if she was born a Targaryen. By what right does a stone tower judge the dragon, right? We're talking about sigils here. Dragon, fuck it, dragon fire melts rock. As we saw at Harrenhal, not in this episode, but with what happened at Harrenhal in the past when Aegon the Conqueror flew Balerion to Harrenhal and roasted Lord Harren while he was still in the castle. So, again, I say, by what right does a fucking stone tower sigil, stone house that is represented by a fucking stone tower, judge a dragon like that? The fucking disrespect, bro. But Allison's like, dude, you know all of Rhaenyra's kids are Lenors. Why do you keep denying it? To have one child like this is, is a mistake. To have three is an insult. To you, to the throne, to the Valerions, to decency itself. And Viserys is like, you know what? I got this story I can fall back on. A metaphor, if you will. I can use this as my trump card to shut this bitch up. He talks of a white stallion giving birth to a black mare. The stallion's hair silver as moon on a summer's night. I think this is a reference to Danny. So, I actually think that this isn't just something that he made up. I actually think this is the story Viserys is telling Allison is actually a dream he had. It's one of his dreams that he had. So, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, And he tells her, you know, listen, we're not going to talk about this again. Don't bring it up. Allison, she storms out, she walks with Sir Kristen. And I just want to play this clip here because we learn how she really feels about her stepdaughter slash former bestie slash lesbian love interest. Do my senses lead me astray or is everyone else asleep dreaming the same woolly dream? Sometimes seems so, Your Grace. She flaunts the privilege of her inheritance without shame. She expects everyone in the red cube to deny the truth our eyes can all plainly see. And the king, her father. He knows. Of course he knows. Or did once but has convinced himself otherwise he'll do naught but make excuses for her. The Princess Rhaenyra is brazen and relentless. A spider who stings and sucks her prey dry. Spoiled cunt. And then we get Sir Kristen here like, bro, let it go, dude. Count your blessings, you're still alive. You committed treason. You got off scot-free after murdering a high lord of Westeros, the best friend slash boyfriend of the king consort at his royal wedding in front of hundreds of eyewitnesses. Dude, count your fucking blessings. Dude is so strung out and pussy whipped decades later. And it's funny because Allison shuts him down here when he called her a spoiled cunt. It's like a, like a Damon Corliss thing when Corliss tried to say something about Viserys. And Damon's like, no, nah nah, nah, nah. I can say that type of shit. You cannot know your role, bro. Right? It was like that. So Allison's like, we will win with honor and decency. Which I think is pretty hypocritical on the part of Allison here, and it goes back to what I said earlier: how she's delusional, how she can't admit when she's being a spoiled cunt. She's delusional, right? The only reason Sir Kristen said that was because he was trying to match her energy as they were walking and talking, because she was speaking how how she felt, how she truly felt about Rhaenyra. Uh, next scene here, goaded scene: we get Sir Appalot, Aegon, going full Romulus to the bell towers tolling just cranking in the window you know he's got to be using lard or and you know sheer determination no dude makes those faces cranking raw now, i thought it was the same window that Tom and swanton bombed out of but i got it confirmed it was a different one since the the one tommen was in was actually in the royal chambers when you know he stuck his landing Allison comes in on phase, like this is just a regular Tuesday as a mother of a privileged king to be, right? I think they're setting up Aegon to be more sympathetic than I anticipated. Um, You know, we're, I mean, we're led to believe Aegon isn't taking his succession seriously. When Otto told Allison, she needs to prepare Aegon as early as he can understand words, right? And then we see here listen, Aegon. She ain't doing a good job. Let's just let's just say that. And out of nowhere, Allison goes off on him, basically saying, listen, you little shit, your cousins and Rainier, they are our enemies. She's basically teaching him hatred of his aunt and his cousins, especially his cousins, who he has a bond with. And this is believable because Allison has absorbed the thinking of Otto. She's like, Rhaenyra will kill you and your brother and your sister, and me, to take the throne for herself and to pass it on to Jace. Aegon's like, fine, I just want to challenge her then. And Alicent grabs the, his cheeks. He's like, no, you fucking will challenge her. So that's why I think, as much of a privileged royal teenager Aegon is right now, the menace of Alicent makes us is going to make us sympathize with him as we as we go on in the show. Because, I mean, he's, he's, he's like his father, Viserys, in a way. Viserys didn't want the throne to begin with either. He didn't really care for the throne. It was like thrust upon him. So it's just keep that in mind when you watch scenes with Aegon moving forward, I think. But across the narrow sea in Pentos, Damon and Lena, they're on tour. They're putting on shows for High Lords and their people, riding Caraxes and Vagar. First time we see Vegar on screen. Remember when Little Lena was walking with Viserys in the water gardens, gardens of Kingsland and saying, you know, where can I find Vegar? Well, she found her. And in fact, she claimed her when she was 15. Pretty badass. And speaking of Viserys, dude, done fucked up, right? You see this chick? Fine as hell. You should have listened to your people. Goddamn. She grew up, she's gorgeous. Wow, that actress is gorgeous. Um, Prince Regio dines with Damon, Lena, Reyna, and Bayella, and says, "Listen, you can stay here as long as you want, as long as you aid Pentos against Lys and the Triarchy, who have been rebuilding over these past ten years, and now have an alliance with the Martellas and Dorne. And the Mart- the Martellas and Dorne they they hate the Targaryens. They're like fucking like arch enemies." Damon says look, we'll seriously continue, uh, consider your proposal. And, you know, we see all Lena wants to do. She wants to go home to Driftmark. And this set reminded me of the courtyard in Qarth, uh, in season one of Game of Thrones where the Spicemonger lives, where Zaron Zoran Doxos uh, lives in Karth, in And when they welcome Danny, and she like looks up, to the spice monger on the stairs, she's like, "I will claim what is mine with like fire and blood, like that." That set uh, in this scene it looks exactly like that set. Same resemblance, even though Karth is like far east at the edge of the known world. But we see domesticated daemon up in the library, reading to to Reyna, teaching her high Valyrian, or 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 even just reading to, reading to her in high Valyrian. Lena comes up like. What the shit, man? Like, I'm sick of being on tour. We are the blood of old Valyria. We don't belong here, man. Like, I want to go home. I want to go back to Driftmark. I want to have my baby on Driftmark where my father is there, right? He's like, it's a good proposition. He has gold. We have dragons. And Valyria is destroyed, so we have no home. Like, what are you even talking about? We we don't have a home. Old Valyria is gone. And it looks like Damon is low-key depressed. And he's bored. Right here, he is. He's across the Narrow Sea in a manse in Pentos. Now, Pentos is a is a colony of Old Valeria. There's High Valyrian influence there, so that's why we see Damon in the library teaching Reyna, or just uh, reading to Reina in, in High Valyrian. The library is probably stacked with Valyrian texts of old. Uh, this is in keeping with the theme that I believe Damon is the most Valerian Targaryen left. He's pouring over Valerian books. In episode one, he gives Rhaenyra her Valerian steel necklace and talks about how they both have a piece of their ancestors now with the necklace and he has his dark sister, his Valerian steel sword. Now in the book, Damon truly does love Lena and his girls. Here we see more of a cold Damon, who continues to struggle to show his emotions and can't really comfort his kids, or at least one of them. So yeah, they played a little bit differently here than than in the books. But back in King's Landing, Aegon, Jace, Jason, Luke are training in the courtyard. Instructor Sir Criston looks on. Aegon pats little Luke on the shoulder, which I thought was a nice touch. Shows Aegon still cares about his little, little cousin after what just transpired with uh with Alicent. Shows he kind of has a heart, right? I mean, is I mean, they're playing him. Uh, they're playing him very interesting. Like I don't, I don't know how to feel about Aegon. Fucking hated him in the books, but here, I mean, they could be doing something a little bit different. We get Viserys and Sir Lionel overlooking the fun. Look, Lionel, knocking each other down, picking each other up. This is the stuff of legendary bonds, Lionel. Wouldn't you agree, Lionel? Right, dude, pumped. This is all he's wanted, right? Family, family, Lionel. Lord of the Straw, Aegon, Prince Aegon, boasts that he defeated his first opponent. And Sir Kristen's like, cool, let's get you a new one. You and Aemond, you both try to attack me. Harwin's looking over at Jason Luke. Weapons up, boys. Tell Sir Kristen, hey, listen, you got two other princes over here that need your attention. Been itching to talk about this all week. So there's a lot going on in the scene. All right, let's break this shit down. Um... We have Sir Criston, okay? Sir Criston wanted to be the main course. He didn't want to be the side dish. He could have always been close to Rhaenyra. Not like Lenor would have cared if he still had Joffrey, right? And, and not, it, none of what happened at the wedding, if, if none of what happened at the wedding went down and he chose to still be Rhaenyra's plaything, you know, he could still be coupling with Rhaenyra right now. Jace, Luke, and Joffrey could be his kids. Not Harwin's. In fact, I think Jace is his. This is what I sort of alluded to earlier. In fact, I I, I think Jace is his based on the hair pattern. And since Jace is the oldest, he looks to be about 9, 10 years old. And we jumped 10 years in the timeline. Again, we're not sure if Rhaenyra drank the moon tea that Melos brought her. But if she didn't, Jace is probably Kristen's kid. In my opinion. Which makes the scene so fascinating because Cole fucking grabs Jace thinking he's Harwin's boy. And again, totally could be Harwin's kid. Nothing is confirmed. This is just all speculation. And he goes, okay, eldest v. eldest. Right? Aegon's got like four or five years on Jace. They engage. Aegon bests him. Harwin steps in to, to split them up. We get Harwin looking very fatherly here to Jace. And Kristen's like glancing over at him to see how he treats him. Still suspicious of of Harwin at this point because he knows all three of Renero's kids are born dark haired and he shows them favor. Plus, he's influenced by Allison. Right? He's already spiteful. And he's using this opportunity for her to drive a wedge between the kids. And because he's probably jealous of Harwin. Think about it. All Kristen ever talks about is his honor, restoring his honor. He's looking over at Harwin, a man he suspects of committing high treason. By the end of the when he after he gets his ass beat, he's like thought as much, right? Harwin's clapping Rainier's cheeks without a care in the world for his honor. And he got what Cole could have had if he chose differently. So Sir Kristen is like looking at the life he could have had right in the face. So round two, he goes even hotter at Aegon, screaming instructions at him to beat Jace not just beat him, but embarrass him and bully him. Harwin steps in. He's like, enough. Grabs Aegon, which is a serious offense. So what happened this entire scene is Kristen, this conniving motherfucker, he forced Harwin's hand. He baited him. Most men would only have that kind of devotion toward a cousin or a brother or a son. (laughs) The, Say the, the, doesn't match. the satisfaction of seeing Harwin beat the fuck out of Kristen. Whew, felt good. But in the end, look, Kristen won. He got to Harwin. He got him banished from the City Watch. Not only for putting his hands on Aegon, but for putting his hands on a Knight of the Kings- Kingsguard a sworn protector of the crown, which by extension is like, is considered a threat to the, to the king himself if you put your hands on a king's guard. So a lot going on in the scene, man. And this is where great writing takes you. We have Sir Kristen's pettiness and hatred towards Rhaenyra and by extension her sons. He's probably jealous of Harwin and he's looking at the life he could have had, staring at it directly in the face. A life where he still could have stayed with Rhaenyra, been her whore, And still remain close to her. And father, sons of his own. Because at this point, ten years later, ten ten years have gone by. And Viserys has just turned a blind eye towards it. So he's like, fuck, well, I thought I would have been executed for that. But it turns out everything could have ended up fine based on the life that Harwin is now living. And I still would have retained my gold cloak. But he cared more about his honor. In any case, he figures Harwin out. He baits him. He gets some toss from King's Landon, which fucks Rhaenyra over and the boys because they don't have their true father anymore. Right. Although, you know, the kids don't know that yet. So he helps Allison drive a wedge between the boys. And being with Allison is probably fucking boring, right? Over the past 10 years. Another reason why he's probably jealous of Harwin and kicking himself for confessing. And oh, you know what? Here's something I just thought of Does Cole. Know about the moon tea? Would it make more sense and prove his justification of hating Rhaenyra the way he does if he knew about the moon tea? Okay, not only did she strip him of his honor. I mean, he, put, he, listen, he's a grown ass man. He had a, he had a part in that as well. But not only did she sully his name, not only did she. Not only did she refuse his offer of going across to Essos and, and you know living on oranges and shit, not only did she counter with, I want you to be my sworn protector in my whore, but what if she drank the moon tea and killed his child? Does Cole know about the tea? I think it would make more sense and give further justification of, of hating her the way he does because she killed off his child, and you have to think that serving serving Allison for decades now, that Allison probably told him about the moon tea, because laris told her about the tea in in the uh, the, uh, the godswood, right? Fuck, man! If you tell me this show is boring, what the fuck? What what the fuck are we even watching, bro? Are we watching two different shows? We must be. Either that, or you're just incapable of perceiving depth of narrative. Either way, if you're saying the show is slow or boring, you need to learn how to think critically. Or hey, listen, you can just hop over to Amazon where I know a little show that won't require you to exercise your sub-80 IQ for an hour. Anyways. Oh, God. Look, we cut to Rhaenyra using the secret passageway behind her wall to sneak around to gather intel on, on what people are saying about her. She's using the tunnels as Varys did. We can, of course, you know, as an audience, infer she's been using the tunnels since Damon showed her when she was a girl for the past 10 years. This is one of my favorite scenes in the episode as well. Okay, Rhaenyra stumbles on Lionel, chewing his son out. And Harwin's like, I don't know what you're talking about, Dad. Lionel's like, don't you fuck with me, boy, right? That's basically the the vibes we're getting here. This is going to ruin our whole house, he says. People are starting to talk. Harwin's eyes well up. He knows what he's done, but he can't help it because he probably does love Rhaenyra. He loves the children. We've seen that through his actions. Show, don't tell, remember? But let's talk about why this is so wrong. Let's talk about why Rhaenyra's ignorance and selfishness is fucking everything up for a lot of people. Okay? This is high treason. When Viserys dies... Rhaenyra will name Jace as her heir. So she's trying to put Jace on the throne after her. But Jace only ascends the throne because he's Rhaenyra and Laenor's son. Only problem is, he's obviously not Laenor's son. He's a bastard. He's not the true-born heir. So not only can Jace not be the heir... But Rhaenyra cannot be the heir because she's committed high treason. It's the law. And more importantly, this is the law that everyone understands, which is why you have people spreading rumors and saying their babies or her babies aren't Laenor's. This puts her, Laenor, and the kids in a dangerous position. The only reason they're alive is because Viserys hasn't died yet. If Rhaenyra's kids aren't Laenora's, she's guilty of treason towards the crown. Viserys would have to disinherit her and the kids, and he'd probably pardon them and exile them in order to avoid executing all of them. So the kids have to be Laenora's in order to be the, heir, the heirs, okay. Otherwise, why would she marry at all? Right, she she could just marry whoever she wants and have kids. This is a royal match for political and strategic purposes to further, to further, to further the line of pure blood Targaryens. And this is why Viserys keeps telling Allison, "Look, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Speak no more of this." He knows. He knows Rhaenyra has committed treason. But as any father would, as any king would, he's trying to protect his legacy and his daughter and his grandchildren's legacy, even if they aren't pure of blood, pure of the blood of old Valeria, right? He wants to protect them. Now, the perception of the law is just as important as the law itself, If the people of the realm understand that XYZ is a law that cannot be broken, and if it is broken, there are consequences. If they understand that, but the king and the queen or prince and princess undermine the legitimacy of that law in their own rule and say, fuck it, fuck the law, I'm above the law, right? Why would the people in the realm look at them as the rightful monarchs? If it's written in law and people understand that law in the wards of Westeros, whether it be just high wards or kings and queens specifically, if they just do as they please and break the laws of gods and man, then you get an uprising because that establishes precedent. I can break the law because my king breaks the law. There would be chaos in the realm. That's what Viserys is like protecting right now. But he doesn't, he doesn't realize that, listen, once dude is exed, shit's going gonna, shit's gonna to be even worse. So this is treason. And this is treason in a way everybody in King's Landing in the realm understands. And that's why Rhaenyra and Harwin having children and Rhaenyra passing them off to the court as lanors is a big fucking problem. That can cause a war. Okay, so she's trying to put an illegitimate child on the throne. And if and when these rumors are found to be true, anybody can come in, undermine the crown, and create a succession crisis. And whenever there's a succession crisis, what follows? War. That's when you get war. So Rhaenyra created this mess, and that's what Lionel is telling Harwin here. He's like, you've exposed us. You, Rhaenyra, and your children, my grandchildren, we will all be beheaded if and when, or just when Viserys dies. And for 10 years, Rhaenyra has pretended that all of this doesn't matter. Even Laner is like, really, Rhaenyra? Accusations? We all know they're Harwin's kids, right? Surely you're not that stupid to believe this issue would never come back to haunt us. Rhaenyra wants to be the ruler of Westeros, but she's acting so fucking delusional. Remember what Daemon confronted her in the streets of Flea Bottom about years ago? She's like, the people's voice don't matter. Boo, right? Remember that? And was like, no, it actually does fucking matter. So that just shows us, the audience, for 10 years, Rhaenyra has not listened. She does what she wants, and she doesn't care what people think about her. And now the time has come where the rumors are spreading so fast with the birth of baby Joffrey... That, okay, now that forces her hand. Now she has to do something about it to keep the children and her and Leonor safe. She's fucking sloppy. It's just absolute slop, right? She's absorbed a lot of Damon's advice except that one critical piece that I just mentioned. She learned from Damon that marriage is just an arrangement if you can be discreet about it, right? She's fucking obviously not discreet about it. Having three fucking kids with a paramour, that ain't discreet. And Harwin isn't exactly good at hiding the fact that he's the father either, right? He's proud of his boys. He's proud his boys have Targaryen blood, and he loves them, as he loves Rhaenyra. I mean, the way they look at each other, right? You you know they're in love. Again, it's a show-don't-tell thing. So Harwin's expelled as commander of the City Watch. This was never his career post anyways. It was just something he was doing to gain prestige, to gain experience, and to stay—it was an excuse to stay close to Rhaenyra and the boys. But he's the eldest, strong son, so he's set to inherit Harrenhal, and that's why Lionel brings him back to Harrenhal. But uh, yeah, this was never his career—his career, his career posed. But Rhaenyra returns to her chambers from you know snooping on Sir Lionel and uh, Sir Harwin here. Leonor stumbles in drunk with uh, Sir Carl. Lanor says war is afoot in the stepstones and that Carl showed him a sack of sapphires big as walnuts he took from a pirate that he slew. So the seafaring Valerion in Lenor wants to go back to sea. After all this time, this is just what he needs, he says. He says there's a Tairoshi prince that dyes his beard purple. And uh, if you haven't read the books, he's talking about the infamous Recallio Rendone. Um... He's a general for the triarchy. I'm thinking we may see him or or this could just be a name drop, you know, but it would be dope to see Recalio in his purple beard because in OG Thrones, uh we had Dario. Dario was supposed to have blue hair, but we got basic brunette Dario. So seeing a book accurate associate prince would be really cool in my opinion. But Rhaenyra's is like, "Are you completely mad? Are you mental, bruv?" Right? Do you know what's happened? When she's like, you know, <laughs> she was like, you've been guzzling all the ale in Flea Bottom. I thought she was going to be like, you've been guzzling all the loads in Flea Bottom. <laughs> like, I thought she had that in the, in the can. But it's nice to see that Rainier doesn't completely treat him like shit. At least she has some level of respect for him, enough to not use his love of men against him. But I totally thought she was about to say that shit. But... Just a great scene between uh, John McMillan and Emma Darcy here. Really love the two of them. Love the dynamic. There's a respect and a love that they have for each other. Even though, you know, Rainier has put them both in a really bad position. Rainier says, listen, I've, indul- I've let you indulge yourself for a decade. You don't abandon your post when the storm lashes. And laner is like, listen, I know about this shit. You know, a wise sailor flees the storm as it gathers. She's like, cool. I command you to remain in King's Landing at my side. Checkmate. Nothing Laenor can do now, right? That's what happens when you are Prince Consort, King Consort. But she did this for her children and the children's protection because if Laenor leaves, listen, the rumors, they're going to continue to circulate and it just makes Rhaenyra look even worse. People will be saying, oh, Lannor left because he found out the truth about the children and that would just escalate things even faster. So she's feeling the heat, and she needs him there for everybody's sake, for the realm's sake. Back over in Pentos, Reyna holds her dragon to the fire. You can see how much hatching an egg means to her, Into every Targaryen. Aemon, too, for example, right? Still without a dragon. If you're without a dragon at that age, you're the proverbial black sheep of the family. And they're talking about, or her and, and her mother, Laenar, they're talking about how half of the eggs don't hatch, which is foreshadowing because wayna can't hatch her own baby dragon. This episode, she fails to she fails to deliver on that. But uh reyna she's afraid she'll leave because she'll, she's afraid she'll have to leave because she doesn't have a dragon yet. Just you know how kids think. wayna says she, she didn't claim Vagar until she was fifteen. reyna says Damon ignores her. Reminded me of the girl in Arrival when she tells Amy Adams that Dad doesn't look at her the same anymore. It's real heartbreaking stuff. You never want to hear that shit from a kid ever. But that just you know it shows me you know Damon relates to one and he can't communicate to the other he he can only communicate to one daughter um and you know it mirrors what could have happened in his childhood if you think back to episode 4 when Viserys is like you know Alyssa their mother loved Damon more but Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra but Raina and uh Baela if they continue down the path they're going and they stay pretty faithful to the books, which they have been doing so far. Uh, I think they're going to be awesome characters as, as they grow up. But, yeah, domesticated Daemon, man, he, he's struggling. Our boy's struggling. Speaking of domesticated Daemon, he's chilling on the rooftop here, drinking wine under the associate stars. Lena comes up to tell him Laenor wrote them a letter and said Rhaenyra gave birth to another son. Lena, she knows Daemon is in love with her, Rhaenyra. She knows in the books, too. And she says, here, she's made her peace with it. Damon mocks the news, asking if Lena or mention of the baby bears no marked resemblance to the commander of the city watch. Matt Smith, he he plays this news pretty sad. Like, he's just twirling his cup of wine, looking down. I think that's why he's probably cold to Lena here. Um, because in the books, you know, again, he he's very much in love with her. But there are moments here where Damon does show subtle hints of endearment and, and love towards her. Wayne is like, you spend all your time in the library reading accounts of Dragon Wars you claim don't have any hold over you. What this tells me is that Daemon, like Viserys, doesn't want to be lost to history. He's reading the accounts of what he feels like are better men. Reminds me of what Sam said to Gilly when he was studying at the Citadel, and how he's tired of reading about the achievements of better men, and how he just wishes to do something worthwhile before it's all over. And how he can't do that from a, a library. But for Damon, he holds up in this Pentoshi library, probably thinking it, it could be too late. Like, right? it's too late for, for for me to do anything worthwhile with my life, right? This is, this is who I am. I'm stuck with you. I'm stuck with these fucking two girls. <laughs> I can't do anything. Lena says, look, you are more than this. The man she married is more than this. And you can tell here, she truly does love him. And... He, her, right? It's just hard for him to show emotion. But back in King's Landing, a small council convenes. And you, you guys might have caught this. Okay, I did on a rewatch, but you see that maid behind Viserys swinging the incense? Yeah, that's because our boy is rotting away. And he smells like death. Dude is a fucking walking corpse. That's why she's swinging those incense. Fucking Jason Lannister... Sitting on the council now, he's probably master of coin, I would think. But this is where we—this is where we see how Allison is really running the kingdom. Allison's gathering political power, showing how she commands a room, making it easier for people to obey her when she tells them what to do. But Rhaenyra, she's not having it. She counters a proposal of Allison's to look into a situation in the Riverlands. Allison's annoyed that Viserys takes her side. Fucking. Ward Beesbury, so old. He's talking about the Blackwoods and the Brackens when they moved on to a different matter. It's like that meme of that like granddaughter walking the the grandmother with the fucking walker. Sure, like sure grandma, let's get you to bed. It's like sure Ward Beesbury. What's 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 get you to bed. Allison groans like what the fuck is this guy still doing here? Like we deal with this shit every week. You can't keep up. Poor Beesbury, man. <laughs> love the dude Rhaenyra finds it funny but she spars, she spars with Allison here on funding defenses and says the cost of war is greater than not preparing at all which is ironic because she doesn't realize she's about to start a war Allison's like we're done Viserys is like ah oh, yes finally I've had to shit this entire time is like wait I wish to say a few words Everyone sits except for Allison. She'll never have Rainier talk down to her. And she proposes to join their houses once more. And remember, she's feeling the heat. She needs to make a move on the chessboard. She needs to make a move to ensure that Jace is safe. And this is where she's trying to wedge herself in here and commit legit treason before all the wards and her father who know Jace ain't Lenore's. But she proposes to wed Jace to Helena when they come of age. Making Allison's daughter queen and ensuring the High Tower blood still carries on in the line. This happens a little bit different in the books. It goes the other way. Alicent proposes the marriage to Rhaenyra. But Viserys... <laughs> I love Viserys' this episode. <laughs> Viserys is like, yes, my, my daughter, a most judicious proposition. My God, family. Is there anything better? She throws in a sweetener. Says, if Cyrax brings forth another clutch of eggs, Eamon can have one. I'll like, oh shit, look what we have here. An open opportunity to embarrass Rhaenyra in front of the entire council. And draws her attention to her tatas. It was an, look, look. it was an opportunity to embarrass her and cut the proposition short, right? She says she'll consider it. Now you must rest, husband. Ah, oh, thank God. Fuck. Right? And I love how she's walking Viserys here to bed, and saying, "Gosh, I won't have, I won't have her marry off one of her plain featured sons to my daughter." Bitch, plain features. You fucking serious? Look in the mirror. Delusional, delusional, entitled. So far up her own ass. She's like, "Viserys, you can do whatever you want to do when I'm dead in my in cold in my fucking grave." Again, just shows who's running the king- kingdom, who's wearing the pants in the relationship, right? Lionel walks in while caretaker Allison, annoyed, she has she's probably had to do this for the past ten years. She's like, "What can we do for you?" Lionel wishes to resign because of Harwin's outburst. Allison's eyes widen. She's like, "Oh shit! This this could be the opportunity." She's thinking, "Finally, this is the moment. The moment has finally come." When the father of the man who committed treason with Ranira, which undermines her claim, Jace's claim, to sit the Iron Throne, this time has finally come. Opens the door for me to remain queen and to pass the throne to Aegon. That's what she's thinking right now, right? This is my one shot, right? If you had one shot, right? That's what's happening here. Lionel's like, there's a storm brewing over my house. I wish to resign because I can't serve you and give you unbiased counsel. It's nice to know that there's at least one honorable character in the room. Lionel Strong, God bless his burnt soul. He can't come to say it, but he wishes to return to Sunder Hall, the grants Gransom leave. And this is important because the next scene, we have Alicent dining with Larys in her chambers. He's been her spy for the past decade informing her of happenings going on in the castle, as he says, the truth has many flavors, your grace. Pure, Viser- uh, pure Viserys, pure Varys, right? In fact, Larys is like the combination of Littlefinger and Varys. Littlefinger, Varys, Larys. That's George R. R. Martin having fun with names. Allison tells him, Sir Lionel is to escort Harwin back to Hall. She's like, in all of King's Landing, Is there no one that will take my side on fucking anything? And Laris just looks at her like, okay, this is my opportunity. She didn't have to say it. She didn't have to literally say it, but I'm picking up what she's putting down, right? So we head down to the black cells where we will see a certain jailer show up at a pivotal point in the story soon. Larry slams his walking stick down to a thunderous bass boom. And we see what looks like a firefly on his staff. At first, I thought it was like a, like a scarab, like a beetle. But I was really hoping it was going to be a bee because it kind of looked like a bee, right? So if it was a bee, that would have been really cool because it would have been a callback to what Mushroom said in the book where he says, words dripped from his lips like honey from a comb. And never did words taste so sweet. So it would have been very fitting if... That sigil he takes on was a bee but either way this is this is a Littlefinger mockingbird moment where littlefinger created his own house sigil with the mockingbird It's the same thing with Laris Laris wants something uniquely him he doesn't want he doesn't want to be another strong he wants to be his own entity this is how we learn Laris created his own sigil he fucking dude even puts pins on his assassins. He sends to Hall, Just sloppy as hell. Why would you dress assassins with a calling card? This man's a fucking psychopath. He has the prisoner's tongues cut out so they can't say who ordered them to do this if they get caught. But yeah, he's, he's Allison's spider. And now he's a kinslayer as well, as we'll see coming up. The mystery of the fire at Harrenhal Hall. Is uh it's a mystery in the books. Some say it was Damon, some say it was Viserys who set the fire to silence the rumors to kill Harwin and protect Venera. And and there's even you know speculation that it's Laris in the books. But in the book, both Harwin and Lionel die in the fire. But here we only see one body, so I'm holding out hope that our boy, Sir Daddy, Harwin is still alive. I hope it's like a Joe Carey thing where he was supposed to die where uh, uh, Steve was supposed to die in, in Stranger Things season 1 but they loved the actor they loved Kiri so much that they kept him alive and he ended up being the most beloved character on the show hoping that happens here with our boy but I'm not holding my breath back in Pentos Lena is attempting to give birth everything has failed up until this point the maester or the lord or whatever the fuck he is. I don't know if there's Maesters over in Essos. I forget. Like, I can't dive into the lore that deep. I just, honestly, that's not even fucking deep. I just don't even remember. But um, he's like, I've reached the limits of my art. going to get a mirror scene here to uh, Viserys and Emma. And I was thinking maybe when, uh, when Damon returns to King's Landing, maybe this will bring them closer together. Maybe Viserys, or, or, you know, maybe even Viserys will reveal what he truly did to Emma. Like, he has to confess to somebody before he dies, right? In any event, we see the difference between Viserys and Damon here, where Damon doesn't murder Lena to get the baby out. Instead, he's like, oh, my brave girl. Like, he knows it's time, but we can pretty much assume, like, he he, he let her make her own decisions, as he did in the book. But it's a nice parallel. I like the way Lena went out. I think it was too soon. Again, you know, would have loved to see them together for a few episodes at least. But this happens a little bit different in the books, but I actually like it better in the show because it has the same emotion of the book, but it gives a more noble and badass ending for Elena. Not to, not that dying in childbirth isn't noble, isn't a noble thing for women to do, uh, to go through, uh, to suffer through. You know what I mean. Uh, but in the book, Lena can't; she can't hatch her egg, and she walks out to ride Vagar once more, one last time. But on her walk to 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 see Vagar, she collapses, and Damon ends up picking her up and brings her back to the bed, and she ends up dying uh, of child fever. But here, she makes it to Vagar, and Vagar is like, "Are you sure, mom? Like, mom, like, don't make me do this. Please, don't make me do this." Vagar hesitated to hesitates to burn Lena, and just goes to show how evolved Vagar is Vagar's old that's 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 old nan Vagar, right that's granny nate granny vegar right um uh, she would have understood lena is in pain and wanting to die because of the psychic link between the two of them the bond that they formed but lena gets roasted boss shit she went out the way she wanted to go out right like a true dragon lord Damon runs out looking for her and that just leads me to believe that Lena snuck out without him knowing. And Damon sees her getting burnt alive, and you can sort of see the respect Damon had for her uh, for choosing to go out that route. It was more of a it was more of a sign of strength. And you know she went out when she she wanted to go out. Man, I like the way she went out, getting Dracarist. It's a noble death, right? Intentional dragon ward death. And is not a really big character in the books. But, um, yeah, I, I really did like that actress. Stunning. Loved her. And, um, yeah, I thought she was a phenomenal actress. I would really would have loved to see more of her. But back in King's Landing, Harwin is saying farewell to the boys and Rhaenyra. And you can see how sad Jace is. And Harwin lifts his chin, strokes his cheek with his thumb. Again, if this is actually Kristen's kid, it's icy icy man he kisses joffrey's head and jace looks up to him and mom looking at each other like wait what like i i've always had my suspicions but yeah this is it's probably my dad jace rushes out to look at him once more you think he 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 feels it he feels like there's that there's there's always a connection there it's like the energy right it's an energy. Jace asks, is Harwin strong my father? And am I a bastard? She doesn't give Jace an answer. She just says, the only thing that matters is you're a Targaryen. But it's really not the only thing that matters, man. Now, Jace, ha- Jace is going to have an identity crisis now because he doesn't know the truth about himself. But Harwin didn't abandon the kids. He never left. He was forced to leave because of Aegon and, and Kristen and this just puts Kristen into more of a like classical villain role, what he did to to Harwin into Rhaenyra, into those boys. It was all because of him. It was all his plan. But Rhaenyra heads outside, she tells Lana, look, 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 we need to fucking leave. Every everyone knows these aren't my kids. When my father dies, we're fucked. We should have left years ago. You know what? Bring your new boyfriend too. Bring Carl. We'll need every sword we can muster. So she has to compromise here to keep her children safe, right? She's obviously going to lose power. She's going to lose favor with people at the court. But these are the political consequences of what needs to be done and of what she's done. These are the political consequences for what she plans to do, leaving King's Landing to go to Dragonstone. She's undermining her own claim just by leaving King's Landing to Dragonstone, she says. We cut to Harwin and Lionel on the King's Road to Harrenhal. First time we've seen the Castle at Harrenhal in this show we saw it in OG Thrones, uh, but it's the first time in the show. We will return here in future seasons. Larys's assassins follow. They're pinned up, right? Get the, uh, the old firefly pins on there. Um, It'll be interesting if that was like a like a nod to the Last of Us, the fireflies in the Last of Us. Again, I have I, I don't know. I'll have to read up on why Ryan and Miguel chose the Firefly for a sigil. We cut to Lionel, sleeping. He's coughing. At first, I thought he was poisoned, but Harwin's in the hallway. He's fucking screaming, trying to break the door down to get to his father, to save his father. Uh, We cut back to Dragonstone, and Rhaenyra, Laenor, and Carl, they're walking up the causeway with Jace, Luke, and Joffrey. And we get this amazing monologue from Laris over a few scenes where he says, "'What are children?' But a weakness, a folly, a futility. Through them, you imagine you cheat the great darkness of its victory. You will persist forever in some form or another, as if they will keep you from the dust. But for them, you surrender what you should not. You may know what is the right thing to be done, but love stays the hand. Love is a downfall. Best to make your way through life unencumbered, if you ask me. And remember, what did I say up top of the episode? Love could be the downfall. The love for her children, for Rhaenyra's children, could be the downfall of House Targaryen. So we see Viserys, you know, over this, uh, underneath this, this monologue, we see Viserys kissing Emma's ring. He looks up to the rats. He's like, wait, hmm could mean something (laughs) right Um, but we see bodies being carried from the wreckage assuming they're Harwin and Lionel's but again you know we cannot be sure we cannot be too sure that it was Harwin's Uh, he had access to a hallway Lionel was stuck in the room Um, again still holding out hope not much hope though not much hope to be had the assassins huddle up in the darkness say good job congratulate each other (laughs) We see Lena's remains on the beach. Raina and Biela, they're crying and Damon can't console them. You've probably seen the frame of Damon holding both of them uh, like a behind-the-scenes still. They cut that scene, obviously. Would have liked to seen it here, but I can see why they cut it in keeping with the running theme that Damon cannot connect with his kids and, and just cannot connect emotionally. And we see Laris with Allison in our final shot here. She's shaking. She's scratching at herself like she's overdosed. She's like... I did not want this, Laris. What have you done? He's like, hey Grace, you've heard the stories of Harrenhal. It's a cursed place. He's like, the queen makes her wish. What servant of the realm wouldn't strive to fulfill it, right? She's like, he's like, write to your father. Call him back to King's Landing. <laughs> Fucking This guy. She's like, Laris, I did not wish for this. He rolls his eyes. Sure, my queen. I'll know you you'll reward me when the time is right. So Laris has his father and his brother, his brother, his brother assassinate him. Dude's a psychopath, bro. We never once saw Lionel or Harwin mistreat him. In fact, when we were introduced to Harwin and Laris at the camp in the in the Kingswood, it looked like they were just hanging out, being bros, eating and and drinking. But Laris is a second son, set to inherit nothing. I think his motivation here was entirely to have to hold something over Alicent. Like, she said she didn't have any allies. He's like, cool, I'll give you what you really want. And in return, I expect a position on your small council when Viserys dies. So I believe, I believe Alicent when she says it's not what she wanted. At least that's the way she's acting. Like she's she's clawing at her neck. She's like again, like it's a fucking overdose. Like she's squirming, right? We never actually hear her voice it. We never actually hear her say, Listen, I want Lionel and I want Harwin dead. But in time, she will come to appreciate Laris's methods. That's all I'll say about that. But that's the episode, guys. A lot went down, right? A lot of subtext, a lot of filling in the gaps here, figuring shit out as it unfolds. But the stage is set where we've moved one step closer to the dance. Four episodes left this season. It's only going to get better. I mentioned this on the previous on, on a previous pod this season, but it's always hard to start something, right? Once you find your gear, once you hit your stride, things just get better and better and better. Look, I will be back next week. For House of the Dragon episode seven, if you made it this far, drop a five star rating on Spotify. Drop a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Let people know why they should listen to ABP, and drop a funny review. I always love the funny ones. Those are the, those are the best ones. I fucking love y'all. are Crazy out there. Y'all's humor is nuts. You always make me laugh. But as always, follow cousin Vizzy on Instagram at Visualize Cinema. Yes, chef. Heard chef. Thank you, chef. Later.